Hi, I'm Rod. I also do things around here. And uh, welcome. I want to add my welcome to all the other welcomes. It is so nice to see everyone and just to spot the people that have arrived since I set up. So <laughs> that's nice. I'm going to begin with a prayer because why not? Loving God, it's nice to just be silent for a second and hear the blocks being played with and just the, the sound of uh, human beings together in a space. It's a beautiful sound and it's beautiful to be back. And we want to thank you for that. Thank you for... Um, for helping us to survive last year. And we recognise that there are all sorts of forms of survival and all sorts of, of scars that um, have been created by this year for, for us and for people around the world. So we want to acknowledge that and we want to um, ask you to, to be with us as we begin a season of thinking, what now? What does our community look like now? What are the lessons of the last year? And how do we help each other to, um, to move into a new chapter? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as uh, Shane said a couple of weeks ago, for us as uh, CPLT, if you're new, CPLT just stands for Collaborative Pastoral Leadership Team. It's, got a, it's a real zinger. Um, and that's Shane and me and Tamsin over there. Uh, so as we, as we talked about COVID and the lockdowns, we couldn't help drawing parallels between these events and the, one of the central you know, Jewish experiences, uh, and that was the exile to Babylon. Um, I'm going to give a very brief recap of Shane's brief recap of the exile. Do we have um, the PowerPoint? Oh, there we go. So that was, it. That was the Jewish um, so temple, the temple in Jerusalem um, before exile. And it was, the, I guess, the center of, of Jewish life for centuries. Um, and then after years, decades, centuries of warnings from the prophets, the nation of Judah was taken captive by the Babylonians in the, in the early 6th century. And this um, huge, beautiful temple of Solomon was destroyed. And the vast majority of the population was taken captive or dispersed to surrounding countries. Um, and again, as Shane said, it's hard to overestimate or overstate just how devastating this experience must have been to their identity or a people whose identity was formed around land and temple and Torah, the question of how they could continue to be Israel, how they could continue to be Judah, would have been kind of foremost in their minds. And the question of whether God had forsaken them completely. And then miraculously, about 50 years later, the possibility arose to return to their land and rebuild the temple. But 50 years is a long time. And many had died, 
Medi had been born in Babylon, and so had had no experience of of Judah. Um, we've had a few, a couple of babies born during the time of exile, so we know what that's about. They've never been here before. They don't recognize it. So for some, the return from exile would have been very exciting, the sense that the exile is over, um, going back to the way things were, so they thought. For some, it would be a kind of return to the golden age. But for others, they'd been changed by exile. For others, they were at least partly Babylonian now, um, less connected to their homeland. And no doubt many were in between. And I guess for us, we felt like this reflects what last year has probably been for many of us, that we're some, somewhere on a kind of spectrum of emotions. Many of us excited to be back and to be kind of getting back to normal, whatever that means. Um, so a sense of excitement, but also some of us perhaps not ready um, to to emerge from what COVID did to us and what we became under COVID. Uh, and for many of us, just the, the same question, I guess, as the people of Judah going, what, what are we the other side of this experience? Um, so as we return to some kind of, of gathering, it seemed like a good I- idea to spend time with this experience, to spend time with the experience of exile and think about how it's changed us um, and whether we want to build something different, the other side of this experience in our community. Uh, so the, um, yeah, the people of Judah, when they came back, they tried to rebuild the temple and it definitely didn't end up looking anything like um, the original one. Uh, and so for us, there is that sense of what will be continuous with what we did before and what will be different. So in this, I guess, in this journey of uh, reflecting on COVID and lockdown before we, we move on, uh, we thought, as is often the case with our community, we wanted to start with stories, our own stories, stories of individuals in our community. Because COVID and the lockdowns did have profoundly different impacts on different people. For some of us, it's been uh, almost like a nourishing time of pausing in our lives. For others, there's been a deep sense of isolation and loneliness. For others, there's been a, an over, being, a sense of being overwhelmed by um, the people that they've been locked down with and having to care for them or be with them 24-7. Um, for others... There's just been a lot of anxiety. Um, so before I invite um, Percy and Sarah, who are going to be our interviewees this morning, before I invite them up, um, I just wanted to, to say that their experiences and the experiences of people that we talk to next week um, are not necessarily representative of everyone. That's not what we're suggesting by having these, uh, these interviews this week and next week. Um, They are just their experiences that they will be talking about. But our hope just is that this week and next week we'll get a sense of the diversity of experiences that have been um, had in this community. And um, 
in the third week of this part of the series, we'll have an opportunity for the rest of you to, in the form of post-it notes, to share some of your experiences as well. So there will be that, that opportunity. Um, but I'm going to invite Sarah and Percy up now to join me. You're allowed to say yay. <laughs> and I'm going to put up the questions. So these, these are the questions that um, I sent to them, and these are the questions that you would all have received this week if you um, get our weekly note. And these are the questions that we just want to reflect on this week, next week, and the week after. So, yeah, so do that. Do have a think about them and um, bring your thoughts and reflections in a couple of weeks because we'll have a chance to sort of share some of those. For those um, listening to the podcast, let me just read them out and then I'll um, hand over to Percy and Sarah. So the questions were, how would you describe your experience of COVID lockdown? What did you miss the most? What did you find yourself liking about it? Did the experience change as time went on? Did you feel you adjusted? Where did you find nourishment and support in that time? What did you most look forward to as things opened up? And what did you not so much look forward to or find yourself dreading? And looking at the return to normal, what changes would you make to normal life in the light of this experience? Um, so we're, we're not going to go through all of these questions one after the other, but I'm just going to hand over to, maybe I'll ask you to speak first, Percy, um, just to get Percy to talk about that first question and, and I guess touch on whatever else they want to. How would you describe your experience of COVID lockdown, Percy? No, not yet. Um, hi, I'm Percy. I say them pronouns just for those that aren't aware. Um, I guess I have to ask my tome of sound on here because uh, <laughs> I feel like it's very hard to make sense of the whole year in like a brief kind of few minutes. Um, probably the in a sort of tangible sense, what I what my year looked like was that I wrote a thesis. Um, I did my, I saw someone, he's really shocked, and I'm like, oh, my God, okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs> um, so I did my Bachelor of Arts Honours thesis year. Um, I live with a chronic pain, chronic fatigue condition as well, and mental illness. And so what my year looked like was uh, relying on a lot of routines and kind of depending on my thesis and a kind of like codependent relationship to get me through the year and kind of help distract me and um, give me some routine. And so an average day for me looked like getting up at 8.30 and calling my friend Josh on Zoom which we did every weekday across the whole year. And we would talk about kind of what we did the day before and set goals for the day ahead. 
um, then I would kind of write and read for an hour or two hours, um, have breakfast, shower. Then after lunch, every single day, I went for a two-hour walk and along the Maribyrnong River and kind of witnessed a family of baby swans, um, <laughs> which I would go and see every day and kind of listen to music and podcasts and the kind of rhythm of walking um, became like really central to kind of managing my chronic pain and um, also kind of processing the kind of weird mess of life that was quarantine. <laughs> um, and I also ended up relying on a lot of kind of fiction media and became obsessed with various different um, pieces of media like Shakespeare plays, um, Netflix's Dark, and then uh, The Twilight Saga was uh, probably the longest lasting one. <laughs> um, and I guess in reflecting on what the year was like for me, I think I have two major takeaways that kind of only in retrospect did I kind of realize this was my experience. Is the first that quarantine and lockdown gave me a tangible reason why things might be going wrong in my life and gave me a reason to explain to other people why I constantly had executive dysfunction, experiences of mental illness, and um, made it easier for people to understand the fact that I just don't really function like a normal person and have to exercise really frequently and... Um, also end up lying in bed for lots of periods of time. Um, and I think once things returned, uh, once, I guess, firstly, when things were going wrong for everybody, I kind of realized that I had an extremely high level of function in kind of a disaster setting because I am constantly in a setting of not being able to function at a kind of normal level and so for everybody around me kind of not knowing how to deal with like executive dysfunction and kind of lack of concentration I was like oh wow I actually function pretty well and I'm doing like pretty fine and then <laughs> once things started to return to normal it's felt like I've stayed the same and everybody's been kind of trying to return to some sense of normal and I felt like actually I don't really have anything normal to return to and I'm going to continue to live this kind of life of executive dysfunction and pain and mental illness and and not have a reason that people can easily understand why my life is like that anymore and so it kind of felt quite um, a, a little bit like a grief of the fact that quarantine is over because it's now harder to be like, actually, like, I can't get out of bed or I just need to lie in bed for the whole day and not do my chores or I need to, like, I can't really socialize because I have to exercise um, pretty much two hours a day in order to feel better. And so, um, yeah, that's been probably the hardest thing about um, returning to normal is that um, I feel quite left and um, I feel like, yeah, there's less support.
lots of money now that everybody can go back to their kind of going out to bars every single night. And I'm like, I would love to be there, but I just cannot be. Um, so, yeah. Hallelujah. Thanks, Percy. Yeah. And I think that um, there have been a number of people in our community that have said similar things, I guess, about that sense that lockdown made other people's normal similar to their normal and there was a sense of, of kind of comfort and solidarity in that and that coming out of lockdown in many ways has made that harder. Yeah, but, but, yeah. thank you for sharing that. Sarah, your experience? Um, I'm Sarah. I usually heard pronouns. Uh, ways in which Percy and I are different. They're a much more deliberate person than I am. I did not come armed with a book. That's not my vibe. Um, I also, though, live with um, a mental health condition. Um, so the context for me is I got pretty ill in January last year, so I kind of lost a bonus six weeks kind of before um, everyone else kind of locked down. Um, and I, as you kind of introed, um, Rod, was thinking about that sense of isolation, that sense of overwhelm of connection, and I managed to pull off both of those things at exactly the same time <laughs> during early lockdown. Um, many of you know, some of you don't, I live in an intentional community type situation, so there's 21 of us in, depending on how you read it, five to seven households. Um, and if we can't tell you whether we live in five households or seven households, you can imagine how easy it is to navigate government policy that uses the word household over and over again. Um, so for us, we were in this very odd place of not quite knowing what level of connectedness we would have to each other um, and having 21 different feelings about how we should do that, what it would be like to do it, etc., etc. Um, and at the same time, I live in one of the more easily defined households of two people. Um, and because of the nature of my illness the sense of not having that connection to the people we live with, which is incredibly important to me and how I manage my illness, that was crazy distressing. And also knowing that I wouldn't get alone time in the way that I'm used to was also really distressing. Um, so I experienced kind of early lockdown with this very real sense of dysfunction and disquiet. But when we come to that question of did you adjust, yes, as the dynamic in our community adjusted and I had some connection with some of those people. Um, I improved as the person I live with started to leave the house for work a little bit more and we started to develop a pattern between us of, and a way of communicating around my need to have space. Um, we managed a little bit better. So um, that's my two kind of remarks. Um. I guess, given the time, we'll probably just do a few more minutes looking at maybe one or two other things. Um, in a sense, you can perhaps choose your own. You can do the old self-interview. But uh, I guess Percy's already touched on this, but the idea of what, from your experience of the last year, um, how you would change your life now uh, or things that might touch on our life together as a community? Um, are there ways in which your engagement with this community you feel like it, it needs to change or it would be better to look somehow different as a result of this experience? Or even just the simple question of what's the prospect of 
coming back into a community like this after that year, starting to kind of function like this after that year? How does that feel? Yeah. You go. Sure. <laughs> um, this was the question that when I looked at it, I had the most trouble with to a certain extent because deliberateness isn't entirely my vibe. I'm the person who came once and discovered that kind of 14 months later they'd been here most weeks, entirely not on purpose. Um, so, you know, that's a tough one for me to answer, but one of the things that I thought about um, is I sat here and had a mic in my hand late 2019, I suppose, and that was important but difficult for me to do and agreeing to do it this time was less difficult. And, you know, at some point in proceedings, the idea of my name being on a roster in a church was really difficult and I'm less uncomfortable with those things. Now, the fact that I, again, somewhat by accident but nevertheless deliberately, like, logged onto a Zoom pretty regularly and had some of you in my house in a way, um, it was kind of a reminder that I have settled in um, and so I can have a greater sense of safety. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I actually find that really difficult to answer. <laughs> um, but I guess I'm going to draw a little bit from one of the other questions, which was um, where did you find support? I found in lockdown... There were, because of not being able to kind of go out into the world and meet new people and have a lot of busyness, I ended up having a really close-knit circle of friends that checked in with me really regularly. And um, I had um, a friend who lived alone and so we set up like a thesis bubble and just were, like, constantly seeing each other. And I guess, as well, being an ace person and, and um, navigating relationships in a kind of different way to um, the norm, um, I found that experience of having, like, a really kind of solid, secure um, foundation of, of relationships really, like, helpful and comforting for me um, as a single person living living with Chronic Illness. Um, and I think, yeah, going into, like, re-entering into, like, normal life, um, I guess it's, I don't really know what it is that I want to change, but I guess I want more awareness of the ways that people don't fit into normal life. And why it might not necessarily be desirable to re-enter normal life. Um, and, yeah, for various reasons, for various groups of marginalised people. Um, and also, I guess, in that, like, I also have a lot of privilege, like white privilege and educated. And, and there's also other groups of people that won't even be here in this community that had also a vastly different experience of of lockdown that it's not desirable to return to kind of normal life where we kind of don't really think about, um, yeah, ways that kind of society doesn't function very well. And so I think, yeah, 
all, all I can say is I just don't want to return to normal, but I don't know what that looks like or what the alternative is. Thanks, Percy. Um, one of my favourite interviewers is Krista Tippett, who has the podcast On Being, and she often finishes by asking the person that she's interviewing, is there, were there any other questions I should have asked you or anything else that you wanted to say? So let's finish with that. Is there anything else that you kind of prepared to say or you you wanted to share any anything that those questions up there trigger for you that you want to finish with? Great. Thank you so much for your courage in coming and speaking to us. Yeah, thanks. unfair you know given those kinds of experiences of lockdown then to say okay come up the front and <laughs> tell everyone about those experiences so thank you so much for your courage in sharing that and your generosity um, so as I said before we promised that we would return with short meetings so we're going to um, to finish now with communion uh, as Shane said it's kind of a self catered communion um, so if you don't have anything, hopefully someone around you has something that they can share, maybe a cracker that they can wipe down with a sterilised wipe or something. Um, does someone want to go and let the, let the children be free, let them know that we're doing communion? Because my girls have two lemon um, biscuity things that that they made yesterday that they would really like to enjoy for communion. Um, so while they're coming out, I'm going to read a little passage from Haggai. Haha, <laughs> you thought we'd forgotten about the Bible, didn't you? But we didn't. <laughs> um, so Haggai, we might talk a bit more about him later on in the series, but he was writing around the time of the return from exile. And um, because of the names in this, I'm not going to ask anyone else to read it. That would be a bit unfair. So I'll, I'll have a crack instead. So Haggai 2, 1 to 5. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. To Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong. Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares Yahweh. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So we'll, as I say, we'll come back to Haggai, but today all I want us to focus on is just that last line, uh, or the last two lines, um, that as we return from exile and as we try to rebuild, that God is with us and that God says to us, do not fear. 
It's the thing that Jesus said more than pretty much anything else in the Gospels as well. Do not fear. As we turn to communion, this is my prayer for us, um, for our country, for our city, for our world, that we will not be overwhelmed by our experience of COVID, that we'll not be overwhelmed by the process of rebuilding from COVID, and that we will recover from the fear and the anxiety that it has unleashed into the world. So let's eat and drink. I have some tamari almonds up here, so if you wanted to have one of those. Not very COVID safe to dip into a small container of nuts, is it? I'm going to give my children their bickies. Biscuits, sorry. So even if it's just imaginary eating and drinking, let's eat and drink together. So this is a Mennonite kind of blessing that I think Shane found and that uh, Tamsin shared with us a couple of weeks ago. So I thought we would finish with this as our kind of blessing and benediction. Some trust in governments and some in borders, but we trust in God who invites all peoples to live in peace. For the earth belongs to God and all creation is in God's care. Land and waters, plants and animals, sky and soil declare the hospitality of God. The world belongs to God and all who live in it. We belong to one another as siblings, all of us children of God, With gratitude for the home God has made for us on this planet, we pray. Send your Holy Spirit to strengthen our resolve, to strive for communities where foreigners become neighbours and strangers become friends. Revive our desire for the reign of Christ, who releases prisoners and liberates the oppressed, who frees the world from greed and proclaims God's peace. Amen. Amen.